What is up? What is up? It is Wednesday. The NFL season is about to kick off and Crossing Broadcast is ready to kick you in the face. Adam Lefko here at Adam Lefko. We have Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad. We have Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, who people continuously ask on Twitter whether or not I actually like Russell. And I love him and I'm happy to have him. Guys, J.P. Crawford made his debut in the Phillies. Our resident Philly expert, Russell Joy. How much joy did this bring you, Russ? J.P. Crawford brought me probably the most joy of any J.P. in a baseball-related activity since little J.P. and Angels in the Outfield. And I believe we talked about this maybe on a test show. That is my favorite sports movie of all time. So uh, Angels in the Outfield. I'm a Rookie of the Year guy. I am Ooh, too. Is that the one with the I cub? Too, man. The kid with, yeah, the, just with because, the elastic arm? Not a fan. Yeah, for a, for a summer, it caused me to just throw baseballs into a field and hope to accidentally slip and become a major leaguer. See, but remember, Angels in the Outfield was, was kind of a, a jumping off point for was it. Was it Joseph, Joseph Gordon Levitt? Uh, he, was, he was the one sure. kid in it. And, you know, like they, there's nothing quite like that, that moment at the end when, uh, when was it Danny Glover? says, uh, you know, I'm going to take you home. And, and Joseph goes, you know, oh, what about JP? And he goes, JP, he's coming too. Really? And then JP goes, I told you we could do it. And that's exactly what I think JP Crawford probably said last night in the, uh, in the clubhouse before going out. He looked at his teammates and he said, Nick, I want you to get on base. Freddie, Cesar, set the table. Well, what's Reese, weird bring is- us home. Yeah, what's weird is he played at third, Russ. I feel like I've heard wow. that before. You know, there's this really crazy thing that happened. Um, you know, I feel like a while ago, I, I was trying to make the case that, you know, maybe the Phillies should call up guys like J.P. Crawford or Scott Kingery, that maybe they should give them some reps at third base uh, and other positions to perhaps play a little bit of a utility role as the year winds down. Michael Franco has played like absolute garbage. Um, and there's this other guy that plays on the Phillies, uh, who I think also plays like garbage, who I would be also fine watching, uh, you know, sit on the bench a little bit here now as the uh, season winds down. Of course, that's the great uh, Tommy Joseph, who Kyle still contends is one of the best players on the team, um, which I, of course, still disagree with. I still think Kyle is out of his mind, um, but that's fine. Um, JP ends up going in at third. Has He makes some really good plays. Uh, including the final play of the game. If you haven't seen it, if you tuned out, the Phillies were winning in a blowout. Uh, ball is ripped to third base. J.P. Crawford charges it. It comes off a short bounce. He picks it, flings it across to first base for the out, ends the game. J.P. looked really confident there. And Ricky Batalico on uh, the post-game live show, which I watched for the first time, I think, all year, uh, he even said, you know, Michael Franco's not playing well. He's been playing pretty terribly all year. Maybe it's the time. If JP can handle third base defensively, which it certainly looked like he could, there's no reason not to start him at third base. By the way, before I forget, Tommy Joseph, uh, since they moved Reese Hoskins to the outfield, uh, has 77 plate appearances, one walk, 20 strikeouts. Not a good ratio, believe me. He's hitting two, a slash line of 213, 221, 427. Blessed. Uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. First of all, that you cited Ricky Metallico because I wouldn't. I won't. I don't actually verify any baseball opinion until the great Ricky Metallico has weighed in. So I'm glad that he is on your side. You are in uh, good company, I suppose. Uh, I your good. thing about Tommy. I will continue to disagree with you about Tommy Joseph. I am not a Tommy Joseph fan, but don't blame me for the fact that he's one of the four best hitters on the team, and he's only 26. And he still has a little bit of upside, not a lot, but he still like can turn into a very serviceable, very good major league player. Twenty six is still pretty young in baseball, uh, so by, like by I don't think metric? you could just waste his career and throw him on the bench and you know just like let him rot. Um, so that, that that's all I have to say. I figured so it Kyle, out. By, by what guys, metric on, is he on. one of the top four hitters? Come on, guys, I figured it out. Tommy okay. Joseph is the Phillies' Jaleel Okafor. Ooh. We have yeah, all we have this reasonable. new young core of JP Crawford and Reese Hoskins and apparently last night Ben Lively because he's a baller. 
Uh, and we have all these young and Nick Williams. Those that's like our young core. And then they keep trying to. Tommy Joseph was like first. He was supposed to be the guy, and now he's a little bit older. He's a little bit chunkier. He's just not going to be it. He's our. He's the jaw of the Phillies. Adam, can I play a real quick game with Kyle? I want to play a really quick one. And now a quick game with Russ and Kyle. Kyle, I want you to. I'm gonna because you like player A, player B. Let's play tie stakes. Okay. Uh, let me get this. Let me get this pieces. right off the. Let me get this right off the bat. Do you feel like J.P. Crawford would be okay to start at third base for the rest of the season? Let Michael Franco kind of rot there, or do you want to see him go utility? Look, let me hold on. Let me back that out because I, I have an <coughs> idea what you're going to say there. Michael Franco versus uh, Tommy Joseph. If you had uh, to pick look. one of those guys to stay in the lineup, which would it be? Uh, I Fr- Franco. Sorry, I have a cult Franco because uh, look, he sucks more this year and he he sucks real hard right now. But I think he has more physical tools and he has shown more upside. Um, quote unquote sluggers like him have at times in their careers looked horrible. Like I, I don't think Pat Burrell ever looked this bad, but I think it was like what two thousand six. There was like a an eighteen month stretch where Pat Burrell couldn't hit a baseball and he actually was getting. Not even the Bronx cheer. He was getting the supportive cheer at Citizens Bank Park. Like, no one was booing him because it was clear he was just, like, in his own head. He got the boos, and then he got the supportive cheer. I don't know if that's the best example. But guys, like, right-handed power hitters like that do go through stretches in their career where they look really bad. If Franco ever figures it out, I think he has the tools to be a really good player. I think Tommy Tommy Joseph doesn't... I don't know. Excuse me. <coughs> I don't know how I feel about his body type, so uh, I would between the two, I would choose Franco. But I just don't think the Phillies are in a position right now. Like I'd rather bounce a guy around in different spots on the field, like Reese Hoskins in left, like J.P. Crawford being a utility man, and making sure that you are 100% certain that Franco can't play or Joseph can't play before you stick them on the bench and eventually just part ways with them. I you know, both of those, you have them here. There's not much else going on. You know, you're, you're filling out your lineup with uh, Florimon types who may never play another game. So get the young guys it, as many at bats as humanly possible. And if Franco sucks, he sucks. If he dies, he dies. You know, but like, just, I don't know. Hug and Toboggan's having too much of an influence on you now. He is. He People is. dying. Look at you. All but, right, I'm not, um, even, I'm not even playing the game. Because Michael Franco, in pretty much every metric is doing better than And Tom that was a game between Russ and Kyle. <laughs> I don't think that Kyle was actually going to pick Franco. I think he knew where I was going with it. I picked, was, I picked him. Yeah, Russ, I picked this is Franco. the problem. Russ, you're really bad at sneaking up on people with your takes. That's what yeah. I've learned is that like, Russ, we I, all knew I, where you're going. I need to be a proud. You know, yeah, I got I I to go Franco. back and watch The Lion King a couple times. and uh, I picked him. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm okay. saying I, I I don't think prior to today you would have picked him. I think you knew where my my narrative was going. No, I honestly it's I right. didn't. I'm, the, the Nyquil is still in me. I didn't even I didn't I didn't pick up on that. I'm so. Uh oh. I can't believe you just down Nyquil like that. That's like I don't know how you get up. I'm What's great, that? Oh, I'm I took it. It was like alive. eleven ten thirty last night. Ten thirty. That's. The fact that you're awake now is incredible. I'm yeah, still within the eight-hour window. I'm right at the eight-hour window right now. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so that was good. So anyway, I, I'm hoping uh, – I know that there are the minor league playoffs going on. I'm really hoping that we see Kingery this year. That That's my only thing. I, I'd like to see him get a call-up, and I'd like to see them kind of do a little bit of an infield rotation. By the way, uh, a nice little anecdote, and this is something that Kyle might like because Kyle's an advocate of taking our best prospects and throwing him in the outfield. Um <laughs> They were saying last night, I forget the guy's name, plays for the Mets, uh, who I guess got called up maybe a few weeks ago. He and J.P. Crawford were, were good friends. I guess they were childhood friends. Um, and the guy had said that when the Phillies decided to put J.P. at uh, at short, he was surprised because he said that J.P. was a better center fielder. So I'm, I'm not saying that you're going to put him at center field, but it sounds like you know J.P. has some experience playing the outfield. So you know next year when Tommy Joseph is not hitting the cover off the ball and wasting somebody's spot, we'll be able to watch J.P. Crawford sit in right field, perhaps. That would be nice. Hey, um, Russ, while, while we have you here, while we're on baseball, what do you guys make of the Red Sox-Yankees uh, cheating news? That's incredible. I, I don't understand. Can I be honest? I don't understand it. So the way it was reported, 
and someone correct me if I'm wrong here, the way it was reported is that the Red Sox were using an Apple Watch to relay signals to the dugout. So someone was somewhere in the ballpark stealing Yankee signs. They were then, I guess, texting those messages to someone in the dugout's Apple Watch, who was then relaying those signs to the third base coach. Um, I, I don't understand. As someone who's owned an Apple Watch for two and a half years, I don't understand how everything could take place that quickly. Like, figure there's a what a, a night, fifteen second window between the time the catcher lays down a sign and the time the ball is thrown. Like, it it doesn't seem possible for all this to happen within that short of amount a uh, period of time. Or were they stealing? Like pitch out signs, like I don't, I honestly don't understand how they were even doing this. Like there's a slight delay when a text comes through to the Apple Watch, not long, but like even four seconds in this in this scenario will render it useless. This sounds like a typical Apple Watch story where someone's forcing it to be involved in something in which you don't need it at all, but yet you're like, well, I have this thing on my wrist, I need to involve it somehow. Do you own a Fitbit? No. No. Oh, okay. Well. And it's in the point. I of live Jesus. a I, I, life, Kyle. I'm just kidding. I actually find that it actually it actually discovered for me a year and a half ago that I was having an irregular heartbeat, the Apple Watch, and I wound up with a cardiologist. Yeah. Did it, you uh, go to a cardiologist investor, Jeff? No, I actually uh, at the time he he had DM'd me because I think I tweeted something about it, and he had DM'd me. It, it turned out it was just it was just stress from having a three month old and moving. Um, but yeah. But the Apple Watch was the first thing. It was like, hey, that, that looks weird. Um, I'm looking anyway. forward to you going out on like the uh, the Apple stage with the old Steve Jobs look. Nice little wire glasses, a black turtleneck, some some dad jeans. That'll be exciting. I will occasion- uh, side note, I will occasionally watch Steve Jobs throwback keynotes uh, and, and get misty, I think. Is, that's Kyle, will the Crossing Broad but- app work on the Apple Watch? No, no, no. The, the watch isn't for consuming content, mm. and it's and back to our story. It's not for like stealing signs in baseball. Does anyone like? Am I missing something with how they were doing this? I still don't understand how this actually worked. I'm trying to look into it right now. I don't know. This is interesting. I'm just envisioned a crossing broad keynote though, and it made me laugh. <laughs> I don't. Let me, uh, I don't let think me anyone just noticed picture this. Of Terrell Owens. And uh, in the everyone, meantime, everyone look closely at this dong shot of Dio. Hi, I don't. I'm Kyle while, Scott. While <clears throat> you have uh, some some really nice T Swift music in the background, I don't think anyone noticed. But in the introduction for the new site the other day, I actually uh, I actually mimicked the Steve Jobs iPhone introduction where he said uh, where he said phone uh, widescreen iPod with touch controls and breakthrough communications device, and then he, he kept repeating himself and he said it's not three different things; it's one thing. It's the iPhone. I actually got that into our intro. I was I was super geeked out about that, and no one picked up on it that I'm aware of. I'm very very disappointed. Or maybe it they did get like it, and they just wait, didn't someone got it. Someone definitely got it. It's a very wait, famous product announcement. Someone got it. Wait, so Kyle, what was your question about the Apple Watch? So a video replay personnel picked up the catcher signs from the video feed, determined yes. what was the deal, and then sent that information to a team trainer. So I guess just text because you can get a text on the Apple Watch. Yeah, but then that yeah. trainer had to relay it to what the third base coach who had to relay it to the like it just seems like oh wait hold on sorry there there was a uh, because it's Boston and because they're sleaze balls uh, the Red Sox hurled back a uh, counterclaim that the Yankees had been using the Yes Network camera to steal signs on their end so I it, don't it wouldn't really care man Stealing it wouldn't be true Boston without you know, pointing blame at someone else as well. Yeah, I think where the problem is, and the commissioner said that yesterday, he's like, we don't have a rule against stealing signs. Like, the whole, if if they did, then the guy could just stand down there a third and hurt up, hold up a card with the pitch on it, and no one would be allowed to look. Or, you know, the catcher would just be able to, like, hold up a, a green flag and th- to throw the fastball. Like, the whole point of signs is the other people are watching. Let's come up with something that might confuse them. I think, so... Like, on a matter of principle, you are allowed to steal signs because part of the game is trying to mask them. I think the problem is using the technology. I don't think they want you using that. There's league-approved iPads, but they're, I would suppose, disconnected, and you're only supposed to be using the, um, you know, whatever the scouting I always don't don't understand when there's, like, a billion-dollar super competitive industry 
that like everyone like like hey coaches don't look at the TV film when you're thinking about replaying a play in the NFL. It's like why why should the people at home get better access than the than the people that are trying to win and keep their jobs? Um, that just I've, seems a little crazy to me. I've always had this theory. Uh, uh, the last few years, a lot of pe- people have talked a lot about how do you save baseball? How do you make it modern? Um, it's got the oldest fan base by far. I've always thought that baseball should really embrace the thing that makes it so unique, and and that is the debate. data. What's oh, that? I thought you were say embrace debate. Oh no, um, that is like the data, data and analytics. Like I, that is the one sport that could really take advantage of the fact that every single event, or at least every pitch, is a kind of contained event, and that's why. Saber metrics work so well in baseball, but I think they should like go full on embrace that. Like allow teams, they're allowing teams to use iPads in the dugout to get their like in depth pitch pitch FX scouting stuff. All their saber data is on that, so that's like a good step. But they should like impart that to the person at home. Like when that pitch is thrown on the screen, you should not only see the speed, but you just see the you should see the rotation, you should see the break. Like all those metrics should be figured in. I think. You should do away with a home plate umpire. Like there is no way they wouldn't be able to institute like a an invisible strike zone where and put a little microchip in the ball. And if the ball crosses that plane, it's a strike. If it doesn't, it's a ball. And instantaneously, a little green light lights up somewhere in the ballpark, tells you it's a strike or it's a ball. Like they should embrace all these things. Embrace the fact that there are defined plays and everything can be measured and go like all in on that and make it like a super technological game that when you're watching at home, you're seeing all this data in real time. Like I think that would make the game so much better. Allow them to use technology in the dugout to get stuff done. Like make it into a stratego type of game. Like I think that would be their differentiating factor from all the other sports because it is so slow. It would give you something to consume between pitches. Well, since we finally, we finally agree on a baseball point. So I'm going to leave now that one. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I actually I don't disagree with the uh, automated strike zone. I'm I'm not not opposed to that at all. Russ, what are you doing today? Uh, it's a quiz day. What it is, is that? Ready? Whoa! What does that yeah. mean? Pop quiz. It's a it's a quiz day. You're the quiz you're... and uh. Do they know and... it's a quiz day? Yeah, of course they do. We are required to to have things in the <coughs> online grading system well in advance. What's the quiz about? I'm not telling you. Give me one question on the quiz. I want to see if I can get it right. Mm. What's the Pythagorean theorem? Pythagorean theorem is a squared plus, square plus, plus b squared equals c squared. On so you guys have passed. Try, on any try. So you're a math teacher. No, I'm not. I just threw that out there. Oh, then you're a fucking asshole. I love I you too. Kid, I hope all the kids write illegibly on their test and you have to re-give it out. Ooh. Oh, they all point. answer in Spanish. The great, the great northern conspiracy. All right. That's well, great. anyway, um, hey, it was good, day, good talking to you guys. I, I look forward to uh, people questioning if we all like each other or not. So, yeah, well, now I don't like you because you don't tell me what you do. <laughs> all um, right, bye. Adam, right, what so, do you think of my baseball, uh, my saving baseball thing? I'm probably not going to watch anymore anyway. So. Oh, really? Um, I'm going to watch the playoffs. You know. Uh, I don't know what's good for baseball. I think anytime they make a change to anything in broadcasting, people freak out. Uh, like Fox changed their score bug for NFL and college football, and people are like, I hate it. And then in two years, they're going to change it again. They're going to be like, I wish they kept it. It's always the same. So I do think that you, they need to find a way, whether it's fantasy, technology, statistics, social media, Something that's not just an old guy on the broadcast telling stories of what it was of a play that was similar back to 1982. Um, I think that that is a, a mode that is a long go. I think we should get to Lombardi now. Can we do Lombardi? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, other than the Carson Wentz story about how he listens to God podcasts and sermons on the way to work, which I thought was just fantastic. Uh, I love having a boring quarterback that's obsessed with God. I really do. You know my theories on this. The guy is obsessed with studying film. The other big story is uh, our head coach is responding to a writer at the ringer, and it's incredible. 
it, it, but it, I don't know if it's more of a sign on on the coach or our current state of media. So Mike Lombardi, a former GM and a current writer slash podcaster from The Ringer, uh, did a video vignette in which he said that Doug Peterson was the worst head coach hire in the last 30 years in terms of qualifications and said that he will be let go soon and that the Eagles should learn from their mistakes. I think it's crazy that every website I go on right now, whether it's philly.com or whatever they're all running this like it's top page news and then doug peterson was asked about it you don't you don't see often that columns in essence reach the the coach but that's what's happened here and he defended it and now we've got ourselves like a little issue i mean kyle what's your take just from being there and seeing it all unfold yeah i mean while watching um See, Tim McManus asked him about it. I thought it was a good question. Like, Lombardi is a former, whether you think he was good at his job or not, he's a former league exec. He writes or works for a fairly popular website, and his critique of Peterson was buried deep in this, like, 30 rules of football tweet series, I guess, that The Ringer was putting out. So it's, it's the sort of thing that could have flown under the radar. It seemed like an odd place to really take a shot at Doug. It was needlessly harsh. Like as someone who doesn't like Doug Peterson, I, you know, I don't know. I I don't disagree with much of it. I don't think he's the least qualified guy. At least coming into the league, he did spend time in the league. He, I mean, you could argue that Chip Kelly was less qualified to be an NFL head coach. I'm, I'm not saying that was the case, but you could argue that. Um, but it's clear he has something against Doug Peterson, and I'm just more intrigued than Cockintoboggin was on the website yesterday. Like. What what is the backstory here? What the hell did Doug Peterson ever do to Mike Lombardi I can, to I can incur this wrath? This. What's that? So so we've had Lombardi on our podcast two or three times. Sims is really good friends with Lombardi. Okay. Sims and Lombardi text all the time, and like they they typically see eye to eye because they are both in like they both have New England ties. Sims worked there. Lombardi is good friends with Belichick. Um. There's this interesting thing that I see happening with Sims and Lombardi, which is national scale um, analysts that don't get that are not on television. This is me reading into this. So bear with me. When you're on ESPN, when you're a Bill Polian or you're a Hasselbeck or you're, you know, a Schlereth or whatever it is, or you're on Fox Sports one, you're on TV all the time and even though we know that social media is just as important as TV these days, they, their takes seem to get more credit. And then you have somebody like Lombardi and Sims who for three to four years have been trying to tell everybody that Blake Bortles sucks and that no one's been listening. And because it's just, it's, people have been listening, it's just not mainstream. And I think that the Doug Peterson not being a good coach or not being ready to coach, Lombardi's been saying this for like two years now, two, three years. And I think what happens is when you're an analyst on a national scale that's not on TV, you just start going harder and harder and harder. This is just the read that I get because you're just tired of people going, yeah, but Blake Bortles threw for 4,000 yards that one season. And I think that's what happened with Doug Peterson is he's just reached a point where there's no growth and he can't handle anymore. And now it's like, I'm going full fledged. That's the, but, but it's been a year. It's not like it's, he's been coaching for three years now. Again, I don't oh, disagree with him. I'm just playing I devil's advocate more, here. What I mean is I think this is more Lombardi going from, I don't know if this is a good hire to, I don't think this is a good hire to, okay, I'm tired of people not paying attention to this. He's the worst hire in 30 years. Right, but it's part of that, um, a pretty uh, harsh media critique on your part where he's just doing this for attention? Oh, I don't know if it, um, what I'm saying is, is he truly believes this. I don't think it's just for attention. Um, I, I think the 30 years thing is pretty darn interesting. He's talking about qualifications there. Um, you know, you talk about not really being an offensive coordinator and stuff. And I also know that he is talking to people around the league and getting a shared insight on this. Um, I, I think, man, I understand what he's saying. Like, I, I have always been worried about Doug Peterson. And that's why I think this is really blowing up. So I think 
the media kind of felt the same way in Philadelphia. And that's why I think everybody's running with it. I think that's a good point. I, I, I think that's a good point. The people, you know, I've probably written something similar. But when a blogger writes that, hey, this guy has no qualifications or when, you know, it happens around media water coolers in the press room it's not really a thing but now you have somebody else a national voice a guy who was in the league who whether you thought he did a good job or not it does give him some credibility to weigh in he, he has been a football he was an NFL exec for many years and he was a GM for one year and he didn't do well at it but there's a whole host of reasons there now he's a national pontificator and when he weighs in on something like that I think unlike like an Angelo Cataldi screaming oh, it and I don't Kyle, know if, let, me, let me say it to you like this Bill Belichick, it's like the only media member that Bill Belichick would listen to. It means something. Lombardi is really good at his job. The Cleveland thing was a shit show. Like, people are like, oh, he got fired in Cleveland. It's like, yeah, and then they hired Ray Farmer, and, like, they went in the worst direction for three years. Like, Lombardi and them were building something in Cleveland when he got replaced. Um, I, I think I, the I don't know. Is, though, I, I will give this credit to Doug Peterson. I like his offensive coordinator. I like his quarterback coach. I like his defensive coordinator. I like his special teams coordinator. He has a really good staff. And that's why I think the Eagles are a little bit insulated. It's about, you know, can Doug relate to the players? And how will he do with time management? And then deciding what to do in, in key game situations. But I think he's insulated. It's not all on Doug. My, my thing about Peterson is, all, yeah, I agree with you. I think he's put together a pretty good staff. And I think the players like him. I think, it, by all accounts, they're willing to play for him. It's He he hasn't lost the room like Chip has. But there's something to be said in sports. Do, do you want – it's you know it's an age-old debate. Do you want the coach to be your friend or your, your enemy? And uh, there are obviously views on both sides of that. I think the thing that, besides his lack of experience um, – now, Andy Reid didn't have a – a ton of experience coming in to be a head coach either. And he's been very successful. So I, I, I don't know if that's the only way to measure a guy, but I do think with someone like Peterson, he has just never, besides the lack of experience, he has never shown to me anything that would make you think, okay, well, he doesn't have experience, but like, if you look at Chip Kelly, there was a huge question mark. This guy was in college. He's never been in the NFL. He didn't play in the NFL. Ultimately he was, he was a failed project, but the upside, upshot, upside of that was that Chip Kelly was doing doing something very innovative, and some of his his ways have stuck around with both the team and the league. Not so much the up tempo offense, but going heavy into the sports science stuff. The Eagles kept around a lot of those initiatives that Chip brought in. Um, his offense and his pace and his tempo and his his actually somewhat vanilla schemes. Um, was different, and it could have worked. So, like, you could say, look, this guy kind of did something special in college football. He's going to try and impart that to the NFL. There's nothing with Doug Peterson where you can look at and say, well, oh, this is a reason I think he could stand out in the NFL. And the only thing that I think we've seen from him that we can actually measure and talk about thus far is the fact that he has at times showed – that he doesn't understand the rules, the whole thing with the three headsets last year. Like that seems like an obvious thing that a head coach should know. Um, he's displayed a, just a fundamental lack of basic logic. Like uh, the, I think it was the Cowboys game last year. And there was a couple of instances where he made head scratching decisions to punt rather than kick a field goal to not run the clock rather than do this. And like, they were fundamentally wrong decisions. I don't remember the specific scenarios but I remember writing several times about it like they weren't even up for debate it was the sort of thing like if you had a card on the sideline that told you what gives you the best odds to a get the ball back or b win this game like he made fundamentally incorrect decisions and then when he would explain it there was a huge gap in his logic from what he was thinking to reality and that's not like a football thing. Like you don't need to be a football guy to understand this. You need to just sit down and think about it logically and be like, no, that made absolutely no sense to punt there because you're relying on 
like his eight-minute drive in Kansas City a few years ago. For them, they, for that to have worked, they were relying on recovering an onside kick rather than stopping Tom Brady. No matter how good Brady and the Patriots are, I can't imagine there's a scenario in which the odds of recovering the kick are higher than stopping a team from scoring a touchdown. Like those are the sorts of things that he has shown in his short coaching career, like just fundamental breaks in playing the percentages. That's what concerns me because as the head coach, like that is the thing, that is your job. You could surround yourself with guys who scheme, but you have to make those decisions. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the real key is that no one really stood up for Doug. I haven't read a Doug Peterson is, is going to be a great coach article yet. Uh, Darren Sproles on all of the fourth and shorts that we used him on. Carson Wentz lead blocking after getting a concussion. Like there's a million, there's a million cases. Just Doug Peterson at the press podium in general doesn't instill a lot of confidence. And I, I think the other thing that I've learned from all this is no one is coming to Doug's defense. Uh, no one truly believes he's the guy outside of the organization. Uh, in terms of the media, I haven't heard a radio take. I haven't seen a, a press article. No one is doing it, and that's why I think this happened. But uh, and, I do, I do think it's interesting. And I think his defense of himself. Look, like he was in a bad spot. Tim asked him the question. It sounded like Doug hadn't even heard this, which is totally possible. Um, but his defense was, "Hey, look, you know, I'm coming to work every day." I'm getting these guys to buy in. Just ask the players, ask Jeffrey Lurie. But his defense centered on the fact that he's working hard. Uh, if you listen to it again, it was like, you know, it was like a teacher saying, well, you know, hey, here's C minus. And you go, but yeah, yeah but I'm, I just, but I'm putting well, in I extra, just, extra time. Well, it doesn't matter. Like that, his my, defense was that he's working hard. That's a, yeah, but my only thing is, is you can't, you can't warrant uh, what, uh, like you said, a pontificator says with an act, you can't go through and be like, well, let's go through my resume because then you're giving it too much credence. Football coach, you're literally supposed to just go, I don't have time for this crap. I'm busting my ass. Leave me alone. Right. You know but, what I but, mean? Yeah, but he, he, he didn't do that. He actually did. He addressed it twice. Um, you know, and yeah, you're right. Like I would have, if I'm a coach, I just would have been like, well, he's, he's entitled to his opinion. I don't know Mike very well and moved on. But he, he tried to defend himself, but his defense was just, I work hard. And I was like, oh, man. like that's So I just reached my monthly limit on philly.com, and it says now I need a subscription. And I guess I'll be back next month. I'm sorry, Zach Berman. I love you, and I love everybody else at the Inquirer. But... Um, there was never even a warning. There wasn't even a countdown. It is expensive. So, uh, what is I think it, it works. It's so it's after whatever your trial or whatever. If you just sign up online, I believe it's two ninety nine per week. Um, so it shakes out to about one hundred and fifty dollars a year. That is yeah, expensive. For I think the only sort of publications that can command that are highly special, like the Wall Street Journal. The Economist, the Financial Times, things that people, you know, that spending $150 to be armed with information pays itself back for, um, you know, very specialized interest. Just reading about the news, $150 a year is a lot. Like the going rate, you know, I, it seems that the market is defined anywhere from 3 to $8 per month is sort of the range people are willing to pay. I think the New York Times gets a little bit more, the Wall Street Journal for good reason, gets a little bit more. Um, but that's Kyle, a lot of ask, money. Let me and ask you a question. Th- let me yeah. ask you a question. So they want me to pay a subscription to Philly.com. If I want Eagle stuff, Bleeding Green Nation is free. And they're going to they're gonna be a little bit more nuanced, right? Uh, if I want Sixers stuff, there's Liberty Ballers. If I want all of it, there's your website. If I want... Very similar articles to Philly.com. Not saying they're better, just saying they're similar. I can go to Comcast Sportsnet for all their writers and video content. I just find it really difficult to to need to pay for something that I can get. Like like the Philly.com article was about the Phillies. Okay, well that that same article was on three other websites. The same type of article about how they did last night. Or if they wanted me to read the article about Carson Wentz or Jim Schwartz, that was all the other places. You know, I they don't 
I don't really see the big time columnist that I'm like, man, I need to read his take. Yeah, I mean, just kind of being real. Because look, other than that, game stories I can get anywhere else, or I can go to Zach Berman's Twitter feed. Why do I need to get the whole story? I'll get all the nuggets there. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, this is like such a multi-layered conversation. I mean, you can go back 15 years to newspapers giving away stuff for free and now expecting people to pay. Uh, I would say they're they're obviously not just sports. So if you if you have a very compelling need to get Philly news, I mean, they still do devote more resources to covering this the city and the region than than probably anybody else. So like that's I, true and I, I just I've realized at this point 99% of my searches are sports related. No, but you're but I think the principle applies anywhere. Most of this stuff can be be had anywhere else. And if you if we just want to talk about the sports aspect, like you know, the athletics getting a ton of attention. I think what they're doing in Philly is smart. I know this this will tie back to Philly.com in a second. I think what they're doing is smart. They've recognized that there is, unlike maybe some other cities, Philly is not lacking for sports coverage. So they've decided we're going to differentiate ourselves by going super deep, like getting Bodner and Kapadia and Charlie O'Connor for hockey. Like these are guys, and then the other like freelancers and contributors they've added go even deeper than those guys. They've decided that we are going to appeal to 2% of fans, but just serve them really well. Like some of the stuff on there yesterday, I, was che- I didn't subscribe. I checked out some of the free stuff. It's very well done, but you're talking about 2,000, 2,500 word pieces that are like super technical, super deep. You are limiting a substantial portion of your audience, but banking on the fact that if you get 10,000 paying subscribers, that is sustainable for you. That's, you know, that's an interesting model and it's probably smart in Philly because you, you, you're not, you know, you're getting super deep coverage. Philly.com and most other publications don't want to limit their audience that much. And then the question, and neither do I, and the question becomes, like, all right, so like, what do you do here? The problem, the Philly.com's problem, I think you described it right, is like, they're not bringing anything. Like they're columnists, Marcus Hayes. I mean, Mike Sealski's a talented writer. David Murphy's a talented writer. But they're not doing anything that is highly specialized. They're just giving you, like, well-thought-out sports opinions. Um, I feel like if you, you know, if you want people to pay, you got to give them something different than they're getting elsewhere, or you have to have some sort of brand loyalty. Like, part of my subscription thing is I'm banking on the fact that there's some subset of people who really like what we do and are just willing to support it and do away with ads and get a little bit more content. But Philly.com, like, their experience sucks as it is, and they're not doing anything different. Like, their mainstream sports coverage is lapped by, um, you know, like a bleeding green nation that gives you that stuff, but does it in a way that's a little bit more in-depth and insightful. And their columnists aren't doing anything that is proprietary. They're not giving you, like, data deep dives. It's just Marcus Hayes going to a game and giving you his antiquated opinion. So nothing about what they're doing is different. And even if you subscribe, their experience sucks. Like, your pop-up videos galore on philly.com. And I, as far as I know, if you subscribe, you're not, like, bypassing the ads. So pretty much everything else online right now that is offering up advertising is is uh, offering up subscriptions is not serving you ads if you are a subscriber like that's that's the part of the deal i don't think it's the case with philly.com like you're getting the same shitty experience the same shitty like website experience and now you have to pay for it and they're still going to hammer you with ads and unoriginal content like you could devote 50 resources to the game but if those guys are just going to the game and writing stories based on the press scrum in the locker room, well, by definition, there's 10 other guys in that scrum who are writing the same story, and one of them is bound to have it for free. Like, they're- I just don't think people ask enough, how could I fit into the days of my consumers, and what can I add? So, like... Look, this is how the media works. They're going to go to an Eagles game Sunday, Washington, Philadelphia. If the running game is really good, that's going to be a story. If the run defense is really bad, that will be a different story. How did Carson Wentz play? That's going to be a story. Let's evaluate the defensive backs. That will be a story. Doug Peterson, how was he? That'll be a story. These are like, there's like 15 different stories on all the different units that will be covered throughout the week. 
from different statistics and all that stuff that are all from one game. And it's all stuff that you can really look up in the box score. The only difference is these stories will have quotes and the running backs were able to get 140 yards on only 22 carries. Quote from coach talking about how the offensive line really moved people and it was so good that they they followed the discipline and the running backs hit the hole. Next up is another team that they'll have to run well against. We'll see if it'll happen. Quote from coach. We'll see if it'll happen. Like, that's what every story is all the time. That's the reason why, uh, how do you say, is the guy that went to the athletic, Capeda? How do you say his name? Uh, Capadia. Capadia. When he started doing, like, GIFs and stuff, it was like, ooh, now I can see it. But that takes a lot of work, going back to the game, rewatching it, stuff like that. Uh, you know, if if you see columnists and stuff this year and they're writing about how I went back and watched the film and this guy didn't look good and blah, 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 but they're not embedding any of the video in their article, then it's a mistake. Um, now, if they're going to say that you can't do that because of like NFL rights and stuff, I don't know, man. Like, I think the NFL rights are about to start lightening up because I think the NFL wants their their product to be more social media friendly. Um, but you need to give something to someone that they didn't have before that can illuminate things for them. And like the traditional game stories, I just, I don't, I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it works. I know people will, will kind of read it and they'll, 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 it'll be like very passive. I just don't think it's a reason to need to go to see your content. Yeah, it goes back, I agree with you, I think it goes back to the whole notion of the format. Affili.com was a newspaper. Most of the most of the people there, in the way they produce their content, still function in that old mindset. Now, they do have guys writing specifically for online. That honestly wasn't the case even five, six years ago. Like, all of their writers were pretty much focused on getting something for the following morning. They have changed that. But the writers still, when they go to a game, like you described, they'll go to a game, they'll have a thing they focus on. But in almost all cases, their copy is expected to be turned in before they leave that stadium. And almost by definition, you're you're limiting the amount of time you have to work on something. You have a three-hour game, they'll start working on it during the game, they'll go down. Yeah, their jobs are hard as fuck. No, I know. I understand, but just hear yeah, me out here. No, I'm, I know, I'm agreeing with you. They'll, they'll go down to, yeah, they'll go down to the, the locker rooms for an hour. They'll get the quotes. They'll go back up to the press box for another hour or two and finish the story. But when you're getting, you know, sites out there that are spending, guys spending eight, nine hours on one article to really go in depth and get insightful, um, that you can't do that in the framework in which these guys are working in. And like, that's why, like when Kevin comes on board for the site, like he's, we're going to hopefully have him credentialed for the Sixers and have him go down. But I actually don't want him tur- necessarily turning in stuff that night. Like I'm fine if it's 10 a.m. the next morning. I mean, the earlier the better. But like I'd rather him take time and really think about like specific observations and things about the game that he wants to focus on. When he covered the Union for Philly Voice, and I, I wish Russ was here to talk about this, the Union fans really liked him because his articles would come out like a day, a full day after the game, but they weren't just telling you what happened. He was really like breaking down specific things from the game and really writing thoughtful content about the game. And it was worth, it held up even a full 24 hours after it took place. I think that is part of the problem for the newspaper mindset where you go to game and have to turn something in immediately. I think the other problem is, like you said, it's the wall of text. Most of these guys, again, not all, some are, are, are getting with the times. They, I think it this best manifests, manifests itself when you see a writer say, so they'll quote a tweet, like so-and-so said on Twitter, and they'll put it in like a normal quote framework. Like their mind never goes to the place. Just embed the tweet. Like if you're trying to show, I've seen people describe an image that's in a tweet online and that picture and that tweet not appear on the website. Like they are not in the mindset that you can use audio and video and pictures and embedded tweets and block quotes, like things that are easier to read or help explain your story. Most of these guys are in that mindset. Like, I'm just going to write a wall of text. And to your point about Kapadia, like the online style is well, like, why are they writing a wall of text? Because that's all you could do in the newspaper. And that's all you were taught in journalism school for the most part was if you're a, if you're a journalist, you learn how to write. And most of that writing was on newspapers. 
I'm sure there are college programs now teaching different things, but most of the guys who are in the mainstream right now, like that's how they came up. They came up writing text and they don't, they don't think, or they think it's like offensive to use a block quote or, you know, put pictures and gifts, you know, or embed a YouTube video in the middle of what they consider like this, like heightened prose. And it's, that's a problem. And that's a mindset thing. It doesn't apply to all people there. There's some good people, I think, who work at who who get that that's not the way things work anymore. But by and large, when you have a union, and that union basically allows guys like Marcus Hayes and John Smallwood to stay employed, and they're going to be the last men standing, and they are the oldest of the old school, that's how you have the problem Philly.com has. Like These guys are not there because they're good. They're there because they're tenured, and the union has something to say about it, and it's a big problem. Man, that was a Mike Lombardi-esque shot on Smallwood and Hayes right there. Well, they're brutal. I mean, they're brutal. They really are. Like, I, I'm, you know, I don't like Sealski, but I think he's a good writer. I, I think David Mur- Murphy seems, quite frankly, douchey at times and writes over his readers. But I think he's a good writer and he's a talented guy. Like, Hayes and Smallwood uh, and, um, like, even a Frank Fitzpatrick. Um, I'm trying to think Bob, Bob Brookover can be good, but like that Fultz piece he wrote was like kind of the epitome of, of his mindset. Like a lot of these guys are, they're tenured. They're there because they're tenured and Bill they could write a few columns a week and cash their paychecks. And that's literally why they're there. They're p- part of a union and the young guys go first. That's how it works. Was it Bob Ford? Uh, Bob is Ford is there. To- I think he's one of the better ones of that. Oh dude, I, I grew up. Uh, the Phil, reading the Philadelphia Inquirer and Bob Ford on a on a weekend day was I love, I just you know I love the columnist that puts it in perspective. I'm a I'm still a sat when it comes to that newspaper content. I've always loved that. Um, all right, well the one thing they'll say about Kyle is he's not afraid to say his mind. I always appreciate that, Kyle. I don't always agree with you, but I know that you're going to tell it how it is in your mind, which is nice. Just uh, uh, yeah, trying to keep it real. All right. So we are back Friday. Uh, Russell, hopefully, will be back here for the whole show. Hit us up on iTunes. Five-star review. I guarantee we will read it. Uh, Kyle, Thursday night, NFL kicks off. Are you watching the game? Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. I mean, I, I don't like a college football guy, and I watched the game Saturday night because it was the first not competitive non-baseball game in like four months. So... Uh, all in on Patriots Chiefs. We should we should do this. Uh, we should do uh, line picks uh, before you know on, on before Thursday night or certainly before Sunday games. So well, you could tune in on Thursday to Facebook Live where I pick every game against the line on Bleacher Report. So all right. So I'll, what's the I'll Patriots have my line? picks ready for you. What's the Patriots? Uh, last time I saw the Patriots. What do you think it is? Patriots at home, right? Um, hold on. Uh, Patriots minus five. Eight and a half. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go Patriots. That line that line shouts to me. I, I know there's a Super Bowl chance. Being an eight-point favorite against a pretty good team like the Chiefs is that line. I will Just on the line alone, I will go Patriots. Yeah, I'm doing do my research tonight. I believe there is a correlation between Super Bowl winner and that opening Thursday game and a blowout. Like, I'm almost positive of that. Uh, I really like the Chiefs a lot, but I also – when Vegas goes that big and also having bet a ton last year, the Patriots were not only the most consistent team to cover the spread. Like it was, they were like 12 and three versus the spread last year. The The Patriots were the only reason why I, I made money last year when in doubt bet on Belichick. So I would, I would start off right away, uh, going against the point, even if it is eight and a half, if it gets, if it gets any more, then I'm going to start thinking about it. But it, yeah, I got to think the Patriots are going to run away with it. But we'll but, see. Do you play Daily uh, well, Fantasy at all? I don't. See, you should. I feel like you would be a really good candidate. No, it, because the real world versus fantasy kind of fucks me up. Uh, that's um, fair. Like, like, I'm like, ooh. Like, I had my fantasy draft last night, and I'm very high on Rex Burkhead. I just think he's going to make the Patriots like a, I think he's going to end up being the dynamic running back and people don't realize it, but I'm like, I need to take him in the seventh round. And it's like, no dude, you could take him in the fucking 11th. No one's taking him. Uh, so 
Yeah, I just get all messed up with daily fantasy, and then like random guys catch touchdowns, and it makes me angry. Yeah, well, the, I, and but, I think for season long, like your your more your real life football knowledge is applies a little bit more to season long. The thing that sets the daily apart, besides it, you know, resetting every week and random guys catching touchdowns and winning a week for you, is is the pricing. Like you're dealing with a market model, right. so you have so like right now, like a Carson Wentz is is clearly not the best quarterback in terms of putting up points <clears throat> but he's 50 yeah but you can get value yeah, exactly. compared to the he's other guys 50, you know it makes sense fifty three hundred dollars this week which is only three did you do a fantasy team no like a real one i no, i do i did last year i am like all in on DraftKings, so i i spent all my my time and effort there um i, I who are your big fantasy who are you going to focus on in DraftKings this year uh well it goes week by week uh i actually i'm i'm bullish on terrell Pryor um with the redskins uh, especially this week, but like for this week, like Wentz is an intriguing play. I don't think I rostered Wentz once last year, but at f- against a bad defense at fifty three hundred dollars, which is only three hundred above the quarterback minimum, not a good defense. He has a ton of value. Flux and uh, Doug Peterson. The memory he did have some good plays early in the year last year. Like, he brought out all the good trick plays against Chicago. Um, They did get a slow start against Cleveland last year, but then Carson kind of turned it on. And and the first game of the year, they're going to want to show the weapons. They're going to want to show, I would imagine, Torrey Smith deep, and they're going to want to show Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, That's not a bad play. I imagine they will throw a lot. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I I agree with you. And in in terms of, like, season-long guys, like, the the Bucks are really intriguing because Mike Evans could be with if it, that's my fantasy guy. Yeah. I got him six. Yeah, now having Deshaun Jackson there to I mean he was getting triple teamed at times last year. Like he, Mike Evans is really good and put up good numbers when he was like the only target. Uh, who who was his who was number two there? Was it Vincent Jackson for for that one year? Yeah, it was he's Mike awful. Evans and Vincent Jackson. It, yeah. and he's awful. Like just having Deshaun to stretch the field that's going to help them. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty bullish on them, and I, I like Terrell Pryor, and I'm trying to think who else I'm I'm pretty. I mean, like the 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 Titans too. I, not not that this is a surprise, but like their offense in terms from a like a daily fantasy, there could be a lot of value there because they have a lot of a lot of weapons, and not all of them are very highly priced. Um, so you you might be able to pick up some rogue touchdowns from the Titans, guys who cost forty two hundred on DraftKings. I know I'm speaking speaking a different language now. So no, but I don't think it's a bad thing if every Friday Kyle Scott picked his DraftKings team. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we could, we could do that. We could do that. All right, guys, as always, we love you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Russ, hopefully we'll be back for the, the whole time on Friday. Enjoy your day. Enjoy Crossing Broad. Enjoy Philadelphia sports. We'll see you in two days.